Well, good morning, church. Man, I get to call you church because guess what? We're part of the church with you now. So excited for that. Praise the Lord. We joined a couple weeks ago. Thanks for letting us in. Appreciate that. Uh, I do have, uh, I guess as a member or as the guy who's allotted to, sh- to preach today, I have a few announcements for you. Pretty exciting ones. Uh, first off, I have been authorized to tell you that Derek and Michelle Shank are expecting baby number two. So that's exciting. I figured I'd lead off with that in case everything else falls apart. At least that's exciting. But um, also, you saw Pastor Joe this morning. I, I love that he sent that, that update. They are likely, hopefully, near the tail end of a long journey right now today from uh, Kitgum all the way over to the border with Congo uh, in northern Uganda. We started a new work, we meaning Spread of Grace Ministries, but... Uh, We also, meaning Calvary Bible Church, started a new work of training pastors who are coming out of really the deep, dark places of of Congo. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. Be praying for them. They'll start training tomorrow. Uh, They're all doing well. They just finished up training brothers in the Kitkum area, and so they'll be starting that tomorrow. And then after that, they will be going back to Boyali, where the Otema Center is, and doing a training with a new group there. So it's a pretty packed trip. I'm grateful that Pastor Joe has gone. Thank you for letting him go, because had he not been able to go, that means that I would be there right now, and then leaving again next month, and leaving again in October. So thank you for um, uh, sacrificing, allowing Pastor Joe to be there. And if, Pastor Joe, you're watching, thank you. Thank you, Lance. And by the way, Lance, I have a suit on today just for you. but uh, also, Pastor Rodney would have had the opportunity this morning to preach, right? And welcome back to the Landons. Good to have you back. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, so I am quite jealous of Pastor Rodney, quite jealous of you guys. I saw your hiking pictures, and like, I'll tell you what, if you want to go to someplace absolutely spectacular, Scotland is the place to go. Um, I'm a bit jealous for that. You know, the places I get to go, I step on roaches all night, so... It's a little different. Um, Also, one last thing before I begin, I want to say thank you to many of you. Uh, I know it's kind of long overdue, but thank you to many of you who helped us move uh, when we moved here just a couple months back, not once, but twice. So thank you, thank you, thank you for those who were uh, able to sacrifice a bit to do that. All right, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. If you would open there, we're going to begin reading in chapter 1. And I'm going to just tell you right off the bat, I, I have preached from this text before, but this is always a very difficult text for me to preach. And the reason is because of the gravity of this text, what it means, and how far I feel from the reality of this text uh, this morning. I, I just, it's kind of one of those texts where you feel like you're never going to get there, and I always... Uh, hesitate preaching anything that I have difficulty applying, but I'm doing that today. Uh, So I just want to let you know from the outright here, outset, that this is, I'm in a a learning curve with this text, okay? 
And I expect to probably be in that learning curve to the day that Jesus takes me home. Uh, So let's begin reading. We're going to read in the second part of verse 18 of Philippians chapter 1. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, these circumstances, will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I have a watch that I wear that has a verse engraved on it. And that verse is Philippians 121. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I repeat that verse as a prayer every time that I take off in an airplane or land, I'm about to land in an airplane wherever I am throughout the world. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wrote those words to the Philippian church while imprisoned in Rome. Paul had a powerful partnership in the gospel with the Philippian church. And he wrote this letter to thank them for a financial gift that they had given to support the ministry. And he he took the opportunity to teach them something as he wrote this letter, to teach them how to think like Jesus, to give them a Christ-centered focus. They would need that focus as news of Paul's imprisonment would have gotten, uh, would have brought back fresh memories in their minds from the very beginning of when Paul preached the gospel in Philippi. When when Paul and Silas brought the gospel to Philippi, the new believers there watched, those who had just believed in Christ, they watched Paul and Silas enter that city that had a great resistance to any outside religion. They watched them go into that city and preach the gospel and were almost immediately dragged before the magistrates and attacked. You can read about that in Acts 16. The magistrates stripped them and gave them orders to gave orders for them to be beaten with rods. Luke recorded the scene like this. He said, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he, that's the jailer, put them into the inner prison 
the, the, the place that's most secure and fasten their feet in the stocks. I mean, those guys were not gonna get out by any human effort. Yet before that night was over, even as the welts swelled on their bodies and blood probably dripped down their sides, God opened a door for those men to share the gospel with the very jailer who had them in the inner prison. And even with his whole family. His entire household, that man's entire household before the night was over believed the gospel. I mean, this is only something that God could do. Amen? And let me tell you what, if you haven't heard it before, this is the gospel that Paul preached to him that night. It is that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried. You say, well, why did Christ die? He died for our sins. That's why he was crucified. Because you and I have sinned against the most holy, awesome, powerful being in all the universe, the creator of everything that lives and breathes and doesn't live and breathe. He created it all, and we have rebelled against him. And Christ died for those sins, because all of us stand guilty before God. And he was buried, and that means that he was really, really dead. But on the third day, he rose again. And what that means is that when Christ rose from the grave, the Father accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, on my behalf. And he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, he defeated death. And then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. That's the gospel that they heard that night. That's the same gospel that if you were to believe that gospel today, if you were to receive that gospel today, that Christ died for your sins and that he rose from the grave, you will be saved from the very wrath of God that we all deserve. By the end of that very night, you say, how in the world could the the prison guard be the guy who gets saved? Because that's what God does through the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes, even a jailer in the midst of Philippi. His entire family repented that night. All of them called upon the name of the Lord. All of them were baptized. And by the morning, Paul and Silas were released from that prison with bodies bruised and wounds oozing And they visited Lydia's house where a new church had gathered. And now, as he penned this small, like, thank you letter to the church in Philippi, Paul was imprisoned again. (laughs) This time in Rome, and as he writes this, you can almost hear the chains clanking as he awaited trial before Caesar. Clank, clank clank he was uncertain whether he would live or die and yet just like that night in Philippians or in Philippi years earlier Paul viewed his imprisonment this time as an opportunity to advance the gospel 
and to inspire others to preach it. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him, he's been imprisoned in Rome. The chains are clanking. He's under house arrest. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I mean, who thinks like that, by the way? Well, apparently Paul did. In this way, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, just like that prisoner that night, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for who? Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What kind of man can possibly obtain a perspective like that? I told you this was a hard text for me to preach. That even an imprisonment could be for Christ. You know, I can't stand to get my socks wet. I hate it when... Somebody drops a piece of ice on our you know, kitchen floor, and along comes Dad. Oh, man! You know, that drives me crazy. You know, a man with this kind of perspective is a man who can pen verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the hinge upon which the door swings. The first word that we see in our English Bibles in this verse is the word for, F-O-R. It is the pin of the door hinge. It is the connecting point of all of Paul's thoughts around it. It's, it's, it's the, the gemstone of this paragraph. In fact, it speaks to the very heart of this epistle, which is found in chapter 2, and it says, let this mind be in you all, like Pastor Joe said a couple weeks ago, in y'all, in all y'all. Let this mind be in all y'all, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's how the church is to think. The church must develop a Christ-centered focus or attitude or mindset that drives all of its life, all of its ministry, and today, we are going to grapple with three questions to help us to, from this text, develop a Christ-centered focus. Now, question number one this morning is simply this. What does a Christ-centered focus mean? What does this mean? You know, this, this profound sentence in Philippians 1.21 is, in Greek, it doesn't even include verbs in it. The verbs are just implied. The literal translation would be this. To me, indeed, to live Christ, to die, gain. Now, it's pithy enough for a t-shirt, right? Yet it is profound enough that we can't read it like the bumper sticker from the guy's car in front of us. It's not that easy. It's memorable, but man, putting this into practice is a whole nother ballgame. To Paul, life could be summed up in one word, and that word was Christ. Death could only gain Christ. And that's a man who sees imprisonments and beatings as purposeful. You know, live or die, his identity, his sole reason for existence was Christ 
in Christ alone. Paul made statements like this throughout Scripture. You probably remember some of these. They're they're the ones that we tend to memorize. You know, Galatians 2.20. Uh, what, what does it say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans chapter 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Second Corinthians 5. This is... I've often shared this as my my life verse, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again on their behalf. You see, it's this all-consuming mindset that my life, my death, whatever it is, it's about Christ. Colossians 3, 3, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is an all-encompassing, uncompromising, Christ-consuming focus. It is rooted in the gospel that Christ died in our place for our sin. He rose again, and now Christ lives in us who were once dead. We belong to him now. And so we live as if he is our life. If we die, we die to Christ. The day Christ brought you to life, you died to yourself. Christ is your life. To live Christ, to die, gain. If we take that seriously, we just can't stay the same. We just can't. If we take Philippians 121 seriously, it is going to impact every nook and cranny of your life, if you'll let it. If you let it. It's going to impact how we suffer. It's going to impact how we spend our money. It's going to impact how we spend our time, what we're willing to do, where we're willing to go, how we schedule our day, how we process our circumstances, how we handle criticism, or how we handle persecution, our contentment or our discontentment, what we hold on to, what we let go of, whether we press on or whether we quit, whether we complain or whether we praise, whether we preach or whether we remain silent, whether we live or face death. To live, Christ. To die, gain. Now you have a feeling of why I have trouble preaching this text, don't you? I've seen this perspective in others. I've seen it in men as I have traveled from the comforts of America to places where I step on roaches at night. To train men, like men like Philip, who was arrested on several occasions. Philip's an evangelist. 
only to have his captors ask him to pray for them. (laughs) Surrounded his little hut with their AK-47s and approached him for prayer. Or, or, Or Peter, who has had his house burned to the ground for preaching the gospel. Yet you know what he does every Sunday? He gets up and he preaches. Men like Hassan, who, who lived in the, really the blood-bathed civil war in Sierra Leone, if you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamond, we teach in that place. And, and Hassan lived through those events. He lived through that, and in his living through that, he came to Christ. He took in orphans whose parents were killed. He set up encampments for amputees, and he preached the gospel in the middle of all that. I am unworthy to know men like that, men who could look you in the eye and say to you to live Christ, to die gain. So, you know, like, we've just scratched the surface. What does it mean? There's another question. How is a Christ-centered focus molded within us? Well, honestly, like I've said, I, I, I struggle teaching this because every time that I read it, I'm just struck with how far away I am from it, you know. Um, God I just want to say from the outset as I talk about this, is molding this within me. How might God do that within us? How might he be molding such a Christ-centered focus, as verse 21 indicates, in us? Well, we're going to kind of think through the context of Philippians here to understand that. We we can conclude at least four things this morning in, in the context of which this verse falls. And number one is this, that the gospel molds this mindset within us. Without a doubt, the gospel is one of the main things, I would say the main thing that molds this within us. Every time that Paul made a statement like this, in all those different verses that I've already shared, it was always in connection with the gospel. Paul was consumed with the gospel. In chapter 1, of Philippians, Paul saw the nature, his entire nature of his relationship with the Philippians as founded upon the gospel. Look in Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of me with grace, of grace. That is that grace that comes through the gospel. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The gospel molded Paul's focus. It molded his relationship with the Philippian church. As we saw in verse 12, the gospel forged Paul's perception of his circumstances. That, that when he was imprisoned there in Rome, 
He was in prison for a purpose, and that purpose was for the gospel. Verse 12. No matter how loud his chains clanked, no matter how loud the critics taunted him, what mattered to Paul was the proclamation of Christ. Look in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. By the end of this chapter, he charged the Philippians in this way. Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what that means is this. It's a word axios. It means you live your life in a straight line with the gospel. Where you see the gospel, you bring your life in line with that. You live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. The gospel forges a Christ-centered focus within us that we understand that had Christ not died, we would have no hope. That when he died, he paid the price for your sin and my sin. He He died as a substitute for you. His life for your life. And therefore, the only conclusion is this. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. Because he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day. You see, the gospel molds this within us. Number two that we'll see from this context is God uses prayer to mold a Christ-centered focus within us. Not merely prayer for ourselves, but prayer for one another. I'm going to look at Paul's prayer in chapter 1, verse 9. Look at how he prayed for the Philippians. He said, And it is my prayer... That your love may abound more and more, how? With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, Paul prayed in view of the return of the risen Christ recognizing that any fruit that is produced will only come through Christ. Paul not only prayed for them, but he asked them to pray for him. Look in chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that through how? Your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, okay? We'll talk about that a little bit more in a a few moments about what that means. But here's the idea that the prayers of the Philippians, working together with the, the, the spirit supply, would enable Paul to face potential pers- or execution with the mindset of Christ. Prayer forges that kind of mindset within us. You know, I, I shared in the first hour how there's so many times when I will be in Africa somewhere, somewhere where I'm walking on, you know, whatever bug or whatever bug is biting me. 
And I will know, I will, I will recognize moments when the church is praying for us. I don't know that you're, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't have some kind of like, you know, spiritual 3D vision. I can see all the way across the planet and see you praying. But I, I, I know in my heart that someone somewhere is praying Someone is praying for our focus. Someone is praying for God to move through his word, through the gospel, because things just happen over there that you cannot explain any other way than the spirit of God and the prayers of the saints. Like the day that we showed up to a, what they call um, a, a crusade in Kenya. And, and yet, this crusade, you know, you, you, you have in your mind Billy Graham and the gospel crusade. Now, this was a crusade about the prosperity gospel. That day, we showed up, and it was all I could do. I think, the, I think the Spirit was restraining me from walking up on this huge stage with a crowd of people around it, just ripping that microphone out and saying, just don't listen to these hokies, okay? Because this is the gospel. Instead, that day what we did was we walked to the back of this crowd and we saw a line, a, a line of guys sitting there at a distance just, just listening to this sewage sludge of the prosperity gospel. And, and as they're doing that, I'm, I'm with Pastor Jimmy and I said, Pastor Jimmy, let's just, let's just share the gospel with these guys. And that day we began to share the gospel. All of a sudden this crowd comes around us and and several of them believed the gospel in that moment. And you say, well, what was happening there? What was happening is the church was praying. The spirit was moving. And God was working. God had appointed some to believe that day. And they did. Prayer molds this kind of focus within us. And I'm not talking about just prayer for yourself. I'm talking about us praying for one another. Paul was praying for the church. The church was praying for Paul. And there was a partnership in the gospel that kept him focused. Even in the midst of facing Nero. Well, three, God uses the Christ-centered example of others to mold this within us. First and foremost, the example of Christ himself. Look at chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul uses Christ's example. He says, have this mind, this attitude, this thinking among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what we're talking about. That kind of attitude, that kind of focus, that kind of mind. Not only is Christ our example, but Paul gave Timothy and Epaphroditus his examples. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all ask for their, their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's using Timothy here as an example to stop thinking about yourself. 
This is a mindset that is fixed upon Christ, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. We've got to get out of ourselves here. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He was probably the pastor of this church. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because uh, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only to him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." Here's a guy, here's an example on Epaphroditus that they were able to look at and say, hey, this guy was to the near, near the point of death for the cause of the gospel. And he's still going. Probably, the, I would say, after the gospel and after you know, this, this prayer that, that molds this kind of thinking within us, I would say that one of the most important things is that molds this within us, that is in the context all throughout Philippians, is suffering. So much for the prosperity gospel. Paul's entire reason for bringing this crucial mindset to the Philippians' attention was because he was literally in prison for Christ when he was writing it. Clank, clank, clank. He wasn't really completely sure if he was going to be released or executed. Think back to Acts 16 for a moment. If, if uh, you haven't read that, I would, I would do that this afternoon. But how Paul and Silas were stripped, beaten, thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. And after their release, they visited the believers of that new church, just new born-again baby Christians. And they visited the house of Lydia, where they were all gathered, to encourage them before they went on to Thessalonica, where, by the way, they would be persecuted again and driven out of town. <laughs> okay. They're in that home. I, I want you to just think a moment, just, just for the sake of, of, of getting this. Imagine yourself as one of those new believers sitting there. You've just heard the gospel. You've, put your, you've banked your whole life in Christ. And you've watched these guys walk into that city, get beaten. They're back. They're sitting in front of you. They're literally oozing from the scourging. You can see the bruises on probably their head, their back, their arms. You can probably see the marks of the stocks on their ankles. And they're gathering with you to encourage you. Fast forward a few years, and Paul's writing again from prison. And he's saying, to live Christ. To die, gain. Suffering is the grace of God that forges a Christ-centered focus within us. You say, really? The grace of God? Well, let's read chapter 1, verse 29. 
For it has been granted, and that word granted is from the family of words that is for the word grace, charis. For it has been granted to you that for Christ's sake you should not only believe in him, yes, we can all agree to that, but also suffer for his sake. Wow. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that, guess what? I still have it. (laughs) But the truth remains to live Christ and to die gain. I probably memorized Philippians 121 nearly 30 years ago. But you know, it really wasn't until my family went through a pretty long period of intense suffering, really years of it, that I felt like God began to just, okay, Mike, let's, let's, let's scratch this just a little bit so that you can begin to understand it for what I really mean. My wife's sister had died. My father had died. Our son got cancer. My wife developed chronic chest pain. My stepdad fell into gross moral sin, abuse of sin that landed him in jail. Our 20th anniversary trip got interrupted when my wife fell and broke her leg and tore her ACL and her meniscus. Add to that, that I had been pastoring at the time. There's always the critics. There's always the the betrayal of of friends and just the burden of ministry. And when everything else gets stripped away, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you what you're left with, to live Christ. To die, gain. That's it. It made me ask myself, what in the world am I doing? What am I doing? All I know is that through grappling with the Gospels, through the prayers of many prayer warriors through that time, through the example of others setting setting that example for me of Christ and the crucible of suffering, God just began to scratch the surface of this profound truth that I'm still learning. I wonder this morning what it is that God might want to do in you. What is it that God might want to do in you? Well, question number three today is this. What impact does a Christ-centered focus make? Well, in the immediate context, I think we can observe three areas of impact. Number one, it enables us to rejoice in our salvation. Okay, Paul was imprisoned. He's awaiting trial, and he wrote in verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice. For, this is why, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, This, when he says, this will turn out, that word this is talking about Paul's circumstances of being in prison. So he's talking about this imprisonment. But the word for deliverance there in verse, what is it, 19, that word for deliverance is the word salvation. It's the word that's regularly used throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament. 
to speak of someone's salvation. So his imprisonment was simply one more step toward that final day when Paul would stand before Christ. This will turn out for my salvation. This is going to be one more step toward that day when I meet Christ. It's just like Paul's confidence for the Philippians in one, chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? At the day of Christ Jesus. It's the same idea. This was about the endurance of Paul's own faith. How many Christians get to spots in their life and they begin to question, is this even real? I'm going through all this suffering. I'm going through all this trial. I'm going through whatever. Is this, can this, is this even real? If you've had those thoughts, you are not alone. <laughs> this is why we have verses like Philippians 1, 6 and Philippians 1, verse 19. For we can be confident of this, that he who began that good work in you, he will complete it. Paul didn't want to end up like so many others around him who had denied the faith. We, we can read about that through different, different texts, but Philippians chapter 318, uh, Paul says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul knew his citizenship was in heaven, and he had confidence that whether he was released or executed, it would result in his salvation. Live or die. And that's why he could rejoice, you see. Isn't that great? I mean, really, isn't that great? No matter how bad it gets for the Christian, guess what? Live or die, we're the Lord's. This is just one more step toward that day when we meet Christ. That's what a Christ-centered focus will give you. It will give you that ability to rejoice whether you're going to live or die. Well, number two, it enables us to face our circumstances with courage. Look at verse 20. After talking about this fact that it's going to turn out for his salvation in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul had courage because his ultimate hope was in Christ. He didn't have to be afraid of being ashamed, even through execution. And neither did the Philippians. He had courage from the fact that whether he lived or died, Christ would be magnified through his body, as the church prayed, as the Spirit enabled him to cling to the truth of verse 21, to live, what is it? Christ. Christ. To die, gain. It enables us, number three, to care about what is most important. Look in verse 21. This is our central verse. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, 
it means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, in these verses, Paul is having kind of like this debate in his own head. Anybody else do that? Am I the only person in this room that does that? You know, I have, I have like these debates in my head all the time, you know. Sometimes imaginary conversations, you know. And, and, and that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's having this debate. And the first thing that he concluded was... He just wanted to be with Christ. <laughs> you see it in verse 22? Look at it. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, first thing, is to depart and be with Christ. But that is far better. I mean, okay, stop the train. <laughs> is that how you think? You know how many Christians I've met that are afraid to die? We saw that during the pandemic, didn't we? Did we or did we not? A lot of people afraid to die. Why are we so afraid to die? Why? I mean, you know why? Because we don't get this yet. That's why. We don't get that Christ, to be with Christ, is far, far beyond our imagination greater than the next five minutes of our life or the next five years or five decades is the presence of Christ the hunger of your heart is that the first thing if you have to debate that one in your head be like man first off I just want to go be with Jesus rather than be fearful of death Paul longed for it because it meant, now think about his circumstances. No more beatings. No, no more uh, imprisonment. No more suffering. I mean, you know what Jesus told Ananias when he talked of Paul's life? He said, I'm going I'm to show him how much he must suffer for my sake. That was his calling. To suffer for Christ's sake. If Paul were executed in this moment, my word. I mean, circumstantially, way better. Way better life. But here's the amazing thing. You know, this mindset enables us to focus on what is most important, to want what is most important. This is the amazing part here. In these next verses, this focus gave Paul a willingness to sacrifice his own desire to be with Christ, to stick around and go through more imprisonment and go through more beatings and go through more persecution. Look in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. He sees it. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress, your progress and joy in the faith. This Christ-centered focus enables us 
to look not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others, to get beyond our own desires, to get beyond our own comforts, and to stick ourselves out there for the sake of Christ and the gospel in the lives of others. Verse 26, this mindset gave Paul a hunger for God's glory. He says in verse 26, so that all this, I'll stick around for your sake, your joy in the faith, so that in me, in my example, through what you see God doing in my circumstances, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory. In who? In Paul? No. In Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. I mean, you want to talk about a sacrifice? That's a sacrifice. And it was this mind, this understanding that to living, living is about Christ, dying is about Christ, that put that mindset in him. The ability to care about the things that are most important. It was and is about the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, is that what you want the most? God used Philippians 1.21 as the verse to call me into missions. I, I've done a, a lot of stuff in ministry throughout my life. I tell people I just don't know how to keep a job, you know. But it was this verse that God used to call me into missions. And I, I don't know what this might mean for you today, but I I can tell you what it meant for us at the time. It meant selling our house and downsizing into a fixer-upper so that I could travel on 15-hour flights to hot bug-infested villages to get unknown diseases that I still have and equip pastors in the trenches. Now, I, I, I I don't say any of that to tell you how spiritual I, I, I'm not. I, I'm not praising myself right here, right now. The reality is I have trouble preaching this because I know how far I am. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know what it means in your circumstances. All I know is that for us, if I took it seriously, it meant doing those things. Walking on roaches. I'm the biggest failure that I know. All I know is that when I took it seriously, I had to change something. I had to be willing to change some things. And some things that were very uncomfortable to change. I can tell you this, looking back, hmm, well, I can see the glory in Christ Jesus. I can see that. And I can guarantee if you obey this, you'll see it too. You know, now every time I take off or land in an airplane, whether I'm headed to Sierra Leone or Mexico or Kenya or to where the guys are going today, 
Philippians 1.21 is the prayer of my heart because it centers me. It centers me again. Problem is, every two seconds after I pray it, I'm wandering again, and it centers me again. It reminds me that what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, that to live or to die, I belong to Christ. And I don't deserve that. What if we take it seriously? What would change? To live what? Christ. To die again. Father, um, I could stand up here for hours today talking about this. But none of it will matter without the enablement of your Holy Spirit to forge this within us. Lord, I sincerely pray for those who are here today who cannot even begin to understand that because they have not yet received Christ into their lives, that today would be the day that they believe that Christ died for their sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on their behalf. That they would believe in their hearts that you raised Christ from the dead and confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and God would just save them as you were always faithful to do. I pray for those of us who have believed that message, we've received that message, that, Father, you would help us to understand that that transaction was life for life. That our life is Christ now. That he died for those and rose again on their behalf so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And Lord, I confess that I am so far from that. And that I need every day the reminder of this truth And God, I pray for that reminder in us that the Holy Spirit day by day would remind us to whom we belong and that our life is caught up completely in Christ. I pray for our brothers across the ocean right now, even as they are probably arriving to their destination, that you would remind them to live as Christ, to die as gain. That in these moments, God, you would give them a certainty about that truth that they are Christ and Christ alone. That, Father, they would fearlessly preach the gospel, that they'd fearlessly teach your word despite what happens or could happen. Pray for Pastor Rodney as he is in the trenches even right now that he too would be reminded, that he and his family would be reminded, God, of this truth that Christ is central to them and why they're there and what they're doing. And I pray that they would communicate the word of truth with boldness because of it. I pray for all of our missionaries, God, that we support, that they will not be ashamed of the gospel, that they will fearlessly proclaim it because they know that their whole identity, their whole purpose for existence is caught up in Christ.
And for those who are here today, God, that don't know what this means, that cannot determine, Lord, on their own how to live this out, that the Spirit would enable them to understand. Show us, Lord, how you want us to live this. In Jesus' name, amen.